Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dark Matters. Your book, the first thing you're worried your about. Did you bring your assignment? Number seven. Yes. We did number seven. We did number seven. Yes, you're right. Good memory. Compared to the last beginning, this is boring. I can't. You say something funny. I can't. Yeehaw! Yeehaw! Yeehaw, everybody! Welcome back. <laughs> um, we're not dark matters. We are now farmers. <laughs> what? Right now? Oh, wait, are you recording now? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Hi, friend. Hi, friend. Okay, are you ready for Alcatraz Part 2? Bring it on. You're the last seven attempted escapes. Because we know in the beginning... Um. There was some hidden misses, so um, let's see if any of them escape this way. Oh, and we are going to mention one of the longest in-depth ones. I think if anybody knows anything about Alcatraz, it's one of the well-known escapes, and we're going to get into that. I don't know how much you know about Alcatraz. Not much. Okay. <laughs> okay. Honest. That's fine. <laughs> cool. And then you will write them as you see fit. Correct. Okay, so you're on your page in the book? Yes, I am. Okay, guys, well, welcome back. We're going to jump right back into it. We ended on escape number seven, so we're going to start with escape number eight, which happened on August 7th, 1943. This include this involves Huron, Huron Ted Walters. I'm going to go with that. Huron, H-U-R-O-N. Works for me. Huron, Okay. So Walters was Alcatraz number 536. He was sentenced to 30 years for bank robbery. Yeah, bank robbery, assault, and auto theft. He was nicknamed Terrible Ted, which I think is hilarious. And at 17 years old, he began his life as a truck driver, but he associated with criminals. Um, in 1935, he got in trouble in Huntsville, Texas, and he went to the state penitentiary, but later escaped a year later. Um, then he committed a string of robberies, and in 1938, he was sentenced to the 30 years at Levensworth. He was considered one of the most vicious criminals, and he was recommended quickly to transfer to Alcatraz. So he, Walters was actually friends with Hamilton, who was in escape number seven. Remember, it was Borman, Brest, and Hamilton. Floyd Hamilton. Floyd Hamilton. So they were actually sent to Alcatraz together in June of 1940. So he comes back. So the plan, well, this escape only involves Walters, but he was friends with Hamilton. So the plan for Walters was he was going to be patient, and he was going to like everybody else, look after the routines of the guards in the prison. And he worked in the prison laundry room for years, and he knew there was a shortage of guards. So his post was sometimes unattended. Um, the laundry was overwhelmed and it was busy, so the guards were distracted by other things like those in the rec yard um, that were being used in other locations on the property. So... The rec yard was used on Saturdays, and Walter got an assignment on a Saturday in the laundry room. So he, while he was there, he got wire cutters, and he collected getaway clothing. And he stored, he collected and gathered one-gallon cans, 
and he stored them and hid them away, and he was going to use them to float away on the water. So his escape occurred Saturday, August 7th in 1943. He, it was going well until he reached a problem when trying to cut heavy security fencing. So instead of cutting through, he just decided to climb over. And when he climbed over, he fell down and he injured his spine. So with a broken spine, basically, he made it down to the water. He stripped to his underwear. Of course. And then while he was undressing, the alarm started to go off because they already noticed. So the aftermath, Walters was found on the rocky shore. He didn't resist and he was returned. He spent 10 days in the hospital and then in isolation. And he lost 3,100 days of days of good time. So he returned to the laundry room two years later, transferred to Levensworth, and he was released from prison in 1959. Um, later in 1971, he took a family hostage in Texas and shot a Texas ranger to death. For what? I don't know. So <laughs> escape attempt number eight, <laughs> which... I mean, you couldn't get through the fence. I think that would have been your first clue. Hey, maybe not do this. He injured his spine. I'm not liking this one. <laughs> that was so <laughs> underwhelming. And so it really was. Not worth a high rating. I would say maybe a two. Yeah. I mean, he that. attempted to collect things and stuff. I mean, in the laundry room, I can only imagine how easy it is to gather clothing. So I guess good for him. But at the same time, you broke your spine, basically. Not worth it. Definitely not. So, well, I'll give you a two. <laughs> yeah, and then you, no. just asked, you just kept going in and out of jail after you got out. Like, that, that was also stupid. I forget what I was watching recently, and someone said, oh, Wild Hogs. Do you remember that movie? Yeah. So, me and Paul were watching last night. Really funny as an adult. Really funny. Didn't realize it. And he said something about a tattoo, and the guy was like, yeah, I got in Levensworth. I said, I know that. I know what that is now. <laughs> I was so proud of myself. I was going to ask you, after I was re-listening to our first Alcatraz episode, I realized that I feel like most of the prisoners, didn't they go from Levensworth to yeah. Alcatraz? So, like, Al Alcatraz was the infamous, like, can I escape federal prison? But other federal prisons, like Levensworth or McNeil, were other... Not island locations, but they were nearby and they were used for similar things. But people that were sent to Alcatraz always started somewhere else. So Levensworth, that's why I say it, like literally every dude went from Levensworth to Alcatraz. Now is Levensworth still around now? Um, I don't know. I can look it up. I'm just curious. That's a good question. So Levensworth Penitentiary. Oh, okay. So it's in eastern Kansas. It was the first of three federal prisons. So Levensworth, McNeil, and Alcatraz. That's an interesting thing because Fort Levensworth was used for U.S. military and housed males that were, that went against, what is it called when you commit a crime when you're in the military? Uh, crimes against, there's a special State. name for it. Yeah, so, that, so that's why Levensworth and Alcatraz and McNeil, they were all similar ones, but Alcatraz was the worst, I guess. The strongest. So I would say probably like Levensworth, probably like medium. Yeah, I would say that. I don't know why Alcatraz I'm thinking of sizes like small, yeah. medium, large. Like 
Yeah, no. Yeah, so Leavenworth would be, yeah, the step before, yeah, then Alcatraz (laughs) would be like, this is the last place you get to go. That's why people that went to Leavenworth with the history of escaping would then be sent to Alcatraz. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, Okay, so escape number nine occurred on July 31st, 1945. And it was committed by John Giles, and his Alcatraz number was 250, and he was sentenced 25 years for robbing a postal mail train. <laughs> so, switching it up. Um, John's mother was confined to a state hospital for several years when he was a child, and when he was 15, he left home and started work as a surveyor's assistant with the U.S. Bureau for four years. He was then convicted of robbery in 1915 when he was 20 years old and he was sent to Washington State Penitentiary. He was pardoned three days later because World War I occurred, um, but he didn't enlist and instead he robbed a bridge. He was then shot. uh, No, he wasn't shot. He at the bridge, he shot and killed the deputy, deputy sheriff and he was sent to the state penitentiary in Salem, Oregon. He escaped. 16 years in. Um, And then after that, he teamed up with six accomplices six months later. (sighs) He then (laughs) robbed the Denver and Rio Grande mail train in Salt Lake City and was sentenced to another 28 years in McNeil. Um, It was recommended that he be transferred to Alcatraz and he... I hope you can't hear my stomach on the on the Is that your stomach and not your phone? No, that was my oh phone. Oh my god. Oh, okay, okay. But I think I heard it, but I didn't I wasn't sure. My stomach's been like digesting and it's yeah, louder than usual. Making noise. And <laughs> I don't know. I feel it's like the mic's gonna pick it up because it picks up like the barks downstairs, so Maybe. It makes me wonder if it's gonna pick up my stomach. I'll cut it out. Or Please maybe I'm do. just talking so loud. So he was sentenced to another 28 years in McNeil and was recommended to transfer to Alcatraz. He was considered not quote beyond redemption. I want to make a note here. His yes. crime scene, his crime photo, or where do you call it? Uh, <laughs> his crime scene photo. That's not what I meant. Mugshot. Uh, mugshot. Right. Yes. Mugshot. He looks like a smart guy, but the it's middle the part. It's the middle, middle part, part that's just not doing it for me. Just really not. He doing looks. It for me. And like age fifty when he's in Alcatraz, like that's oh I didn't even realize he was age fifty. Yeah, they wow. tell you yeah, and they tell you look at that, and they tell you the ages. Um, he transferred to Alcatraz on my birthday, August twenty eighth. Aww, cute, <laughs> cute. <laughs> so the plan for him was hard because he was considered frail and physically weak. Um, he was assigned to sweep the dock. He spent. 10 years accessing incoming laundry for army clothing. And he ended up acquiring an entire technical surgeon uniform. Hmm. And I'm going to list just some of the things. Thank you. So some of the things, it goes piece by piece. I'm not going to read all of them. Um, But he said beggars can't be choosers. And he just mismatched a whole uniform. But he got an army tie, socks, shirt, pants, a cap. Um, he got a field jacket for one of the technical surgeons, um, that was one of the technical surgeons. He got three sets of dog tags. He had an enlisted man's temporary pass, four men's temporary passes, 
six blank enlisted men's passes, patches, a gray flashlight and batteries, a fountain pen, small medicine bottle, a memo book, a map of San Francisco, and that's basically all we care about. So he got a, a lot of, he got a lot of stuff. Ten years, that's a lot. That's a lot. It's a long time. Um, so his escape occurred in the morning of July 31st, 1947. He reported to work. He got into his hidden uniform, put his prison uniform over top of it, and he was counted in the first count. But after that count, he changed and got on a nearby boat at the dock. And he got on the boat, and he's in this uniform that he stole. And people were questioning, like, hey, this guy kind of seems weird, you know? Because the boat left the dock. So he was seen and he was questioned by Corporal Paul Marins because he was suspicious. And then, meanwhile, at Alcatraz, his absence was noticed on their voyage through the bay. The boat was then halted, and the men were lined up and questioned, and quickly it, it was found that he wasn't supposed to be there, and he was handcuffed. Um, he was placed in solitary confinement. He was interviewed by FBI agents. Three years later, he finally left D-Block isolation, and he was given the worst job, incinerator detail. He forfeited 3,000 good time days. And another three years was added to the sentence. He was one of only two to make it off the island and live to tell the story. Because, like, we heard from the first two escapes, I think the first one. We don't know if they survived or not. So he could tell the tale. It was front page news um, in the movie Point Blank in 1967 with MGM. Features him as an old, as a 77-year-old man. Which was interesting. What are you doing? I'm sorry. I'm looking at this picture of him in the uniform <laughs> that he was wearing when he escaped. Yeah, let me see. Yeah, I mean, hey, he made it off. It's that damn boat ride. Yeah, I mean, okay. So I'm going to go with an eight because it's like <laughs> a 10 year, and it's so simple too, which is interesting. It was such a simple plan of mm -hmm. like, let me just collect these clothes and just put them on one day and just get on the boat. <laughs> Exactly. I'll be there for the first count. And then since then, yeah, he just ditched them and ran. Yeah. And, and he, not the dumbest. No, I mean, he, and he waited. I feel like the 10 years was calculated. Yes, I and agree. The reason why I didn't give him higher than an eight is because I feel like he was so focused on collecting the stuff that he was going to wear that he didn't think about, okay, well, how am I going to act yes. once I'm playing the part? Yes. Because clearly he didn't play it good enough they immediately look were like this dude's weird yeah who's this dude like yeah well and thank god someone said it something because what is it bystander effect that people like if well, if they see a crime being committed they don't say anything they could be like okay just a random dude but also you're on a boat that only goes from alcatraz back like how many random per people are you gonna see probably not very many that's true too because again do, it's, it doesn't matter what you wear. you got to act the part, too. So escape number 10 occurred in May, and it occurred between the 2nd and the 4th, 1946. This included six men. The first one, Bernard Paul Coy, who's Alcatraz inmate 415, sentenced to 26 years of robbery. 
Um, he was neglected as a child. He had a violent temper and he began stealing money when he was five years old. When he was nine, he stole auto parts. And then he was enlisted during World War One, where he went AWOL and he was given five years for assault, battery, and robbery and sent to Alcatraz after attacking another inmate. I'm sorry. What? But his mugshot. Oh, I don't like hair. his mugshot. Yep. No. It's so... He looks, looks like a douche. No, his hair bothers me. <laughs> Physically. Oh, wait, not him. This one. The next one. Joseph Kretzer, who we talked about earlier. Kretzer. Who was in Kretzer? You know, um, he was part of the 1941 escape. And um, there's a quote for him. Let's see. What's his quote? So, quote... Joe was, in all respects, what a convict was reputed to be. He was young, but also recognized by all as a man of his word in the world of prisons. He was tough and violent, a leader for those who wished to be led, and above all, unafraid to face the consequences of his actions. He was felt to be too impulsive and impatient by many of the older, escape-minded inmates, and as a consequence, died for his actions. Harsh. Kratzer. Okay. Kratzer. The third man, who's, quote, Meek Marvin Hubbard. That sucks. Terrible nickname. He was inmate number 645, 30 years for kidnapping a policeman, um, and also auto and gun theft. He had dropped out of school. He worked the family farm, and he ran away when he was 10 years old. He then teamed up with other criminals where he robbed and kidnapped several officers um, and was sent to the Knox County Jail in Knoxville. Uh, there was a prison riot in that federal penitentiary, and then he was sent to Alcatraz. The fourth man, Mirren Buddy Thompson, was Alcatraz number 729. He was in life for kidnapping and murder of a Texas officer. He was a delinquent by 10 years old, and he escaped from Alabama Reformatory five times. He was arrested for burglarizing a store, and he shot and killed, where he shot and killed the police officer. <laughs> no, I just want to say, this guy, he is, says he's 28. Yeah. No he in does not look 28. 28 years old. All right. He looks 28, not 37. He looks like he got his head stuck in a tube. Kind of. <laughs> Actually. No, but this, no, Buddy Thompson, no, there's no way. Um, he attempted eight escapes before even going to Alcatraz, and he was considered being a, quote, vicious cop killer. Um, and that gave him special status among the inmates, which I hate. I hate that. The fifth man was Sam Shockley, who we mentioned in an earlier escape, possibly being the veteran from 1941 escape. Again... I think he was involved with this. I didn't give a summary on him, but well, yeah, it was, he's, it was a, he's a guy. One. Yeah. So then the final one was Clarence Carnes, inmate 714. He was in for life and 99 years for kidnapping, robbery, and murder. He was a full-blooded Choctaw Indian, and his first crime was at eight years old for stealing candy and money from the school canteen. By a teenager, he became a gang leader. And at 15 years old, he held up a gas station and killed the attendant. He escaped the Granite Reformatory and was given 99 years. He attempted then to escape Levensworth and 
that caused him to be sent to Alcatraz as the youngest inmate. He was 18 years old when he was in Alcatraz and he was considered impulsive and aggressive. Wow. So this is just a group of great men. So the plan, they needed guns to get out. So they wanted to overpower the cell house guards and steal their guns and keys. They wanted to free their co-conspirators and get the tea, get the tea, get the tea, girl, get the, get the key to the rec yard. They would shoot tower guards, um, commandeer the prison launch, and they were prepared to take hostages. Coy recruited the men and he acquired slash stash tools in the cell house. He acquired a fat, uh, an old fashioned bar spreader. No, he fashioned an old bar spreader and he lost 20 pounds in order to get through the bars. Shockley uh, created a disturbance in the D block. That was his job. So the escape on May 2nd, about 1.40 p.m., Coy polished the cell hall, was polishing the cell house floor, and Officer Bert Birch um, was in the West Gun Gall. Officer William Miller was patrolling the C block. Officer Cecile Corwin was in the D block. Shockley started a commotion, and Hubbard indicated he wanted to enter his cell. So while Shockley's making this commotion, uh, Officer Miller then takes Hubbard into his cell and prepares to open it for him to go in. Coy and Hubbard then jump Officer Miller and took him into the cell that he had just opened and took his keys with him. He opened the other men's doors and Coy removed his clothing and smeared himself with grease. Of course. So he opened the bars of the gallery and squeezed through. Now these bars... 20 pounds, like you had to be small, and it says it hurt. So he was prepared. Birch, um, he checked on Shockley and returned to the gun gallery to make sure everything was good. The officer in the gun gallery, Coy had knocked him out, and he then gave his co-conspirators an automatic machine weapon and the keys to the gallery. Officer Corwin forced, was forced to open the door between the segregation and the main cell house. Um, and that was forced by, you guessed it, Kretzer. Officer Corwin had complied and was brought to cell 403, where the officer was also locked up to. Coy took his uniform, his rifle, and the other items. Uh, each guard would be overpowered and confined to different cells. But they were missing the magic key, number 107, which opened the rack door. Officer Miller, knowing that they were trying to escape, hid the key in the toilet of cell 403 that he was locked <laughs> in. Um, but then they eventually found it and they were then trapped inside. So Kretzer went, ha hashtag, I always want to say hashtag, Kretzer went, quote, berserk shot through the cells, and killed Officer Miller. Several of the other officers were injured. Warden Johnson comes out of nowhere and sounds the alarm because something is obviously wrong. You hear gunshots. And he asked the San Francisco police and the Coast Guard to be on alert. Police boats were then circling the island, and grenades were dropped 
in along with tear gas into the prison. Uh, water lines were eventually cut and it st- the water started filling the cells. Two days later, on May 4th, guards stormed in and found Coy, Kretzer, and Hubbard. They were dead in the utility corridor. So they died during this. Carnes, Shockley, and Thomas were back in their cells. Fucking idiots. Um, the aftermath, they rounded up Shockley, Thompson, and Carnes. Um, Miller and Stites, they were dead. Officers Miller and Officer Stites were dead. Warden Johnson allowed the press for the first time to come onto Alcatraz and cover the story. Uh, Shockley and Thompson and Cares were found guilty of murdering Officer Miller. Good. Thomas and Shockley were sentenced to death and were executed in San Quentin's gas chamber. Carnes refused to kill anybody during the attempted escape, so he got second a second life sentence. Hmm. That's crazy. Basically three days worth of a standoff. And how how did they die, the other three? Um, it was between gunfire, grenades, and everything that they were doing inside the prison while they were trying to get them to back down. What? They have pictures of their bodies in here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, clearly they weren't, it wasn't the grenade, because they're in one piece. A grenade doesn't have to blow you apart. It would, though. Oh, you know, grenade science? Do you? <laughs> I'm saying it could be like shrapnel. It's an explosive device. Don't you think it's Yeah, but you gotta think shrapnel. It does say in here that they were all already having rigor mortis, so they've been dead. Yeah, so they were dead for days. Because you think three days? I think it was just the like the fire that they were just sending in. What's creepy is you could see Hubbard's face clearly. Yes. Yeah, the one on the left. Yes. Yeah, his mouth's open. Yeah, it's very creepy. Oh wait here. There's a document in here from the medical director of the Bureau of Prisons. Mm-hmm. And it says, sir, I regret to have informed you of the death of three inmates whose name you will find listed below. Joseph Paul Kretzer, pronounced dead at 1022 a.m. on May 4th, 1946, died of penetrating wound of left temporal region and large gaping wound interior right ear. So he probably... Got shot in the left temp, uh, temporal, mm-hmm. temporal um, part of his head, and then it came out the other end to, in his right ear. Bernard okay. Paul Coy, pronounced dead at ten twelve a.m. May fourth, nineteen forty six. Uh, cause of death: penetrating wound of left maxilla and penetrating wound left border sternal mastoid muscle. So, what are those? Um, maxilla is face. Okay. So. So a lot of head wounds. Yeah. Okay. Marvin Franklin Hubbard pronounced dead at 10.16 a.m. May 4th, 1946. Cause of death, penetrating wound, left temporal region. Penetrating wound above left eyelid and below the brow. Large gaping wound, right posterior temporal occipital region. Oof. So he he got shot like here. Okay. Temporal is like the left side of your head here, mm-hmm. above the left eyelid and below the brow. So like here, like okay, right here, and came out the right posterior, like Oof. here. So they all got shot in the head. Yeah. So I'm assuming they probably, maybe they got got them good in the. <laughs> 
because but then I thought about to myself good. too. Like, I wonder if they like did this themselves. Because all head wounds. I don't know. That's questionable because it could be that they were just shooting in. They could have had openings. And I just but I that's just, hard. And you know when they say like someone's shot execution style, mm-hmm. but like it makes you wonder like for execution style. Does it's the, technically just close range. Is the exit wound large? Because if that's the case, then this would be safe to Assume consider. That they, okay, that maybe it self- was self-inflicted. That would be interesting. Or one of them, they killed one another. You know, that would that could be something because they all pretty much had, except for Koi. Koi didn't have like a big gaping exit wound. Joseph Kretzer and Marvin Hubbard did. So it makes me wonder, did, like, Joseph shoot Hubbard or vice versa? And that's or one accidentally died during the whole thing and they're like, we're not going to make it out. Or that too, yeah. Which is a shame. Yeah, they could have just said, you know what? This isn't ending well. Clearly mm-hmm. we're going to get captured and I'm not going back. So the only other well, and that's, out Yeah, is- and then the other three who survived, they ended up back in their cells, like, just waiting to be... They're like, yeah, this is good. We're going to. Yeah, continue. we're like, this isn't going to go anywhere. And I'm sorry. Carnes was like, I'm just trying to escape. I'm not trying to take anybody with me. Right. Like, Kretzer, like, just shooting in the cell, like, to, like, the police. Like, no. Give it a five, by the way. Give it a five? Yeah. The standoff was interesting. Um, A lot of men. That's a big group of people. Something that's interesting to point out here is that, as you've noticed, with some of these escapes, <laughs> more more minds involved does not mean any better. <laughs> does smarter. not mean any better. No. Or smarter. Like the ones that just constantly took like f- every time someone walked in, they took the person and were like, let me saw through these bars. No. You pre-planned that. You did not figure out anything. More yeah. men does not mean better. Yeah. More men did Literally. not mean better. And I would have no. I would have given up too. But that was a high mortality rate. Yeah. And they didn't mention that any other prisoners died, like the grenades and the tear gas. That I wondered also. But, yeah, that. that wasn't mentioned. I don't think they were. That's why I was curious why they died, unless specifically shoot, like, snipes or themselves, like you said. Very interesting. Because just another thing I wanted to say, too, about that is it makes me wonder if it was truly from them getting, being shot at by the by other people. Mm-hmm. That sounds like pretty close range to me. So for mm-hmm. them to be, for it to be them, don't you think if they were that close, they would know that they killed them instead of just not knowing and for, for like two more days? I have no idea. It's a good just, point. Yeah. Doesn't make full sense. And that's the thing. There's nothing wrong if they admitted, hey, we shot them. No. Because you're protecting the yeah. prison and the people and like, that's your job to do. But then at the same time, you'd really have to aim. You really would have to aim. Yeah. All in the head? Are you kidding? And I'm saying even it's just the one bizarre. that is bizarre. It's all in the head. But isn't it cool that they have the documents? Yeah, I love that they have documents in the so book. Cool. I'm glad that you love the book. I know, and you're like, I'm gonna read along. Okay, so five. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, so escape number eleven occurred on July twenty third, nineteen fifty six. This included just Floyd Wilson whose Alcatraz number was 956. He was in for life for first-degree murder. He had gone to buy coal, and he shot and killed the store employee who was going um, 
to get a cash deposit and he killed him because he wanted the money. Uh, he was sentenced to death for first degree murder, but President Truman commuted his sentence to life. He, trans he was transferred to Alcatraz after attempting escape from Atlanta Federal Penitentiary, but he did not get along with others, follow instructions, and he was uncommunicative. His plan was to acquire a 25-foot cord from the dock that he worked on for years. So his escape on the afternoon of July 23rd, there was a check, an inmate check at 325. At 350, he was already gone. Officer Jones reported seeing Wilson throw rubber auto tires on a bonfire at the end of the dock and black smoke was then covering the whole area which gave Floyd the time to run and there was a massive manhunt all police departments and sheriff officers were alerted to coast guard craft circled the island FBI agents searched the island and it was thought to have that he had a 10 minute head start he was found at 3 a.m. in a crevice on in the rocks and he was then returned to isolation and forfeited all of his privileges. He remained there at Alcatraz until it closed, where he was transferred to Atlanta. So this one's interesting to me. <laughs> the smile again. Why? It's so, like, it's kind of creative. I'll give him that. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't... Who Causing a distraction of physically you can't see me. Because, I mean, if you think about it, what's the one thing that really prevents you from escaping in these situ situations? Visibility. Yeah. Like, you're visible at all times. So, how do you take away their advantage is take away their visibility. Mm -hmm. So, that way you have time to escape with no one seeing you. Yeah. But also, how so, do you see? Well, that's... <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's your problem. That's the problem, yeah. That's true. Because if they can't see, you can't see. And he only made it to the cro the, the Crocs. He made it to the Crocs. He made it to the crevice of the, the crevice rocks. of the rocks. Like, he couldn't even... He didn't even get into the water. The one dude that got on the rocks but didn't get wet. Like, that's... I'm going to... So, I'm going to give him a six. Ooh! And the reason is because I'm going to give him a lot of points for the creativity. Because that <laughs> very creative. A lot of Who points. Who would have thought, let me burn rubber and make it, like, so cloudy And where did here? he get the rubber? Who cares? <laughs> the fact that you got it and you burned it. Yeah. That's creative points. My points off are from the fact that he didn't go very far after okay, that. Yes. <laughs> also points off for seeing someone trying to cash a deposit and just murdering them on the spot. Like, dude. Literally. Like, mm, okay. Well, could have been bank robbery, Not but I'd necessary. rather it be bank robbery. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's a decent, um, that's a decent score. Okay, so for a next escape, number 12 occurred on September 29th, 1958. And our two characters are Aaron Walter Burgett and Clyde Milton Johnson. Aaron Burgett was Alcatraz number 991. He was sentenced to 20, 26 years for armed robbery. We look at that hair. <laughs> Who is it? It's uh, the first guy you said. Arnold, I mean Aaron Burgett. Yes. So at 16 years old, he dropped out of school, and in 1945, he broke into a candy truck, and that caused him 
to serve one year at the state training school in Mississippi. We're Missouri. God damn it. I wrote Miss and then I don't remember which one it was. What are you looking at? There's a picture of a sign at the beach. It says, Warning persons procuring or concealing escape of prisoners are subject to prosecution and imprisonment. Good. Who was the girl with the motorized boat vehicle? Edna. <laughs> Edna. Uh, yeah. Um, so when he was at the state training school, he escaped with an accomplice. Um, and seven years later, he began a string of violent armed robberies. He tried to escape when he was en route to Levensworth. And so that made him transfer to Alcatraz, where he was considered a, quote, good inmate. He was sentenced to garbage duty outside with Clyde Johnson, who was our second character, Alcatraz number 864, who was serving 40 years for bank robbery in Tennessee. He was known as a well-behaved child and joined the Army in 1941. The bank robbery occurred in Memphis, Tennessee in 1949, where he got away with $43,000 which is a decent amount of money then, a decent amount of money now. Um, he was apprehended, but escaped, and then arrested again. He was transferred to Alcatraz in 1950, and he was considered, quote, FBI's 10 most wanted fugitives, end quote. Johnson? Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, what's interesting to me, though, about him, mm -hmm. is that it seems like he's one of the very few that we've talked about that actually didn't have a shit childhood. Yeah, that's true. No divorced parents. Yeah. Nothing no, went wrong. Like major dysfunction. He didn't even have to, like, get sent to war. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Dropping out of school, he was still 16. That's and so it, old. And he didn't, like, have, like, a string of, like, crimes like the other ones did. Well, he had the string of the violent arm of armed robberies. Oh, really? I thought you said just the one. No, when he escaped from the training school, seven years later is when he started his armed robbery. Oh. Yeah. Never mind. I took it back. <laughs> Let's just assume all of them have robbed a bank. Oh, yeah. Okay, so Johnson and Burgett's plan, they speculated that it was planned for a while. Uh, their plan was to maintain good conduct records and to uh, be, off the, be off the bad list, I guess you could say, so people weren't looking at them. Um, they assembled tools to aid their escape, and they waited until daylight savings time. So they monitored the guards' rotations and waited until a new guard was assigned, which is not going to say dumb. So their plan was to overpower this new guard, slip into the water, and swim using handmade water wings and fins. The escape. They had a one-hour head start. There was fog at 3.45 a.m. And all the crews, nope, there was fog at 3.45 p.m. And all the working crews were brought in early because of the fog. The inmate count found the two men and Officer Miller missing. So the alarm sounded and a search party was sent out. Around 4.30, Miller was found tied to a tree. And by 4.45, the Coast Guard spotted Johnson out on the rocks because he was afraid to swim. So he was captured and he was sent to, uh, for questioning. So Burgett remained missing. 
they had used Miller's lack of knowledge in the job description against him, and they had pulled a knife on him. When they left him tied to the tree, they went two different ways. Johnson's escape plan was ruined when the plastic bag filled with air popped, and he lost all of his things, including his dental plate. So he gave up all hope. The aftermath. Damn, my dental plate. <laughs> That's so mean, my invisible God damn, I spent too much money on this. So, Burgett disappeared. And Warden Madigan, because now we're at a different warden, and Warden Madigan called off the search eventually. Thirteen days after the attempt, Burgett's partially decomposed body was found. The San Francisco Bay Tower Guards had spotted it floating a hundred yards off the east end sucks he had his belt said number 991 he they found the knife that they had used on officer miller in his pocket and his quote water wing was attached to his belt and that's the only reason why they found his body because he was still floating he was the only body recovered from the bay after an escape from alcatraz and the san francisco newspapers covered the escape for two weeks because it was such a uh, big deal he wasn't naked. Good point. But <laughs> <laughs> the dental thing I can't get over. Like lost it literally says he lost all hope and gave up. I'm Same. simply gonna say this. No, don't get it. Three out of ten. <laughs> Three out of ten. Okay. Fair. For our next escape, second to last, number 13, occurred on June 11th, 1962. This involved Frank Lee Morris, the Anglin brothers, and Alan Clayton West. Did I say three people at the beginning? I Sorry, there's four. Surprise. So Frank Lee Morris, Alcatraz number 1441, was in for 14 years for bank robbery, and he had a high IQ of 133. He also had a talent for escaping prisons. On January 20th, 1960, he was sent to Alcatraz two years before the escape attempt, and he reconnected with old friends Clarence and John Anglin, the Anglin brothers. The Anglin brothers, John was number 1476, and he was in for 10 years of bank 10 years for bank robbery. Clarence, Alcatraz number 1485, was in 17 years for bank robbery. They spent time in various state prisons, and they were known as really good escape artists. Uh, they met Morris in Atlanta and were sent to Alcatraz in the early 1960s as well. The younger brother, Clarence, was smarter and considered more aggressive. The fourth man in this escape... Was that Boo? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my god, so I was like, your belly's getting ridiculous. No, he just <laughs> he a huge sigh. That's cute. Um, our fourth person, Alan Clayton West, Alcatraz number 1130, and also 1335 when he went back. He spent 10 years for interstate transport of stolen vehicles. He was considered hot-headed and arrogant. He was arrested for car theft and breaking and entering when he was 20 years old. And he met Morris and the Anglin brothers in Atlanta as well. Most of the inmates had uh, would steer clear of him, and some believe that West was the ringleader of this escape. Their plan. West discovered a ventilator cap at the top of his cell house, and he realized it was not cemented shut. 
This could give them access to the roof. Uh, the men would enlarge their air vents in the cells and they would use the narrow utility corridor that ran behind their cells. They would climb the pipes to the top, exit through the roof, and slide down the drain pipe on the outside of the prison. They would then head to the shoreline, paddle a raft, and get to Angel Island. Uh, they would get to the mainland, they would steal a car, rob a store, and take off separately. That's a lot, so let's see what happens. They required a lot of gear, and it was complicated to get, and it was extensive. They fashioned tools from reinforced spoons, and they slowly chipped away at the wall. They painted the plaster to look like the wall between um, times where they were trying to get through it. And they made fake grills from cardboard uh, to make it look like it was still in one piece. They constructed crude and lifelike heads using materials around the prison. They included real hair that was smuggled from the barber shop. These fake heads would be placed on the pillow in their beds and used during the night count. So people did not know they were missing. They got their instructions from a popular mechanics on how to make raft, make a raft from 50 stolen prison raincoats. They got a crowbar for the bars, and this took almost seven months of work to do. The escape on June 11th was after the lights went out. Morris and the Anglin brothers put out their fake heads and put it into their beds, got their things, and left their cells. West had cemented the fake cardboard to avoid slipping, and by the time he got it off, the other three were gone. The aftermath. 7.15 a.m., there's a routine count, and Morris and Anglins, they appeared to be sleeping. When the guards unlocked their cells, they found the fake heads. There was immediate lockdown, and the FBI was called. They used bloodhounds. They tracked, they tracked them into the shoreline, and the Alcatraz officials investigated the cells further. West, who had been stuck in his cell, told the FBI everything and took responsibility for the grand scheme of the plan. After an extensive search, three men were, these three men were never found. There were no car thefts. There were no robberies. Uh, the men knew no one in San Francisco to help them. So they really had no idea where they could have gone. They got their first clue days later when they found a plastic bag, bag with dozens of snapshots, receipts for a $10 money order made out to Clarence, and a list of names and addresses were found. Um, an ore was found floating on Angel Island, and a yard of black poly polyethylene, there we go, with a series of knots floated to Marin Beach. 50 yards from Alcatraz, the dock, they found a makeshift life jacket covered in blood. On, two, on June 20th, nine days later, a bundle of planks tied together by rope was found. A month later, Norwegian freighter spotted a body 20 miles from, what's the GGB? The fuck's a GGB? I have no idea. Great grand. Golden Gate Bridge. A month later, a Norwegian 
a freighter spotted a body 20 miles from the Golden Gate Bridge, but they report they failed to report it for three months. The body had de deteriorated so much that they couldn't tell who it was. So technically, the bodies were never recovered, and they found that the escapees, to their knowledge, never contacted their family. Uh, the case was officially closed in 1979. And they were recorded as missing, presumed drowned. Warden Olin Blackwell blamed escape on the deteriorating prison, um, but in reality, it was the lax it was the lax security that contributed mostly to the escape. News of the escape shocked the nation. West was among the last prisoners transferred from Alcatraz. He served time in Georgia and Florida, where he fatally stabbed another prisoner and was sentenced to life. He died in prison of parentinitis parentinitis Peritonitis. there we go what's that is it p-e-r-i-t yes so there's a all of the organs in your stomach are in what's called the peritoneal cavity okay and the the lining of that per peritoneum yeah can get inflamed or like infected itis means inflammation mm -hmm. so peritonitis is inflammation of the peritoneal cavity so everything, basically, well, it could be the, just the cavity itself. Oh, okay. So he died of that in prison in 1978. So that is one of the most well-known escapes. It's when you go there, you can see pictures of everything. The head, you can see the narrow, the narrow uh, utility hall behind the cells. Like they show you everything. It's the most well-known one. The fake heads, like made out of soap, like clay, literal hair. Like it was kind of. Disgusting, but it's also very cool. So they actually never found them. They never found them. Isn't these? I think I heard something once before about about an escape from Alcatraz, and they talked about as them being seen maybe in South America. The Anglin brothers. Yeah, they had a mother. Yes, it's them, and also because they believe the Anglin brothers would send their mother a birthday card every year, but she didn't know where they are. Yeah, so it's like an ongoing conspiracy. So they, oh, so they send her a birthday card every year. They, it's a conspiracy that's like, oh, she receives a birthday card every couple years. But she doesn't know where they are. It's a mysterious letter. Yeah. Did they ever try to, like, interrogate the mother, I wonder? Probably. Well, I'm going to give them a nine. I know. That's, I think that deserves, it's the most well-known escape for a reason. That's all I got to I mean, say. The fact that they made, they made, Fake heads. Yes. Another very creative. Yep. Idea. And slowly using. I mean, they said it took seven months. They're chipping away that thing. Dude should not have cemented his shut. That's why West didn't get out because he couldn't get out. And then he was like, "Okay, well, I take credit for everything, and I'm going to tell them your plan." Yeah. So nine was the highest. Wow. Okay. Our last escape number fourteen occurs on December 16, 1962, and this includes both Daryl D. Parker and John Paul Scott. So Parker was Alcatraz number 1413. He was sentenced to 50 years and a $5,000 fine for bank robbery and kidnapping and attempted escape. He was considered high-strung and quick-tempered. 13 years old, he was charged with burglary and sent to juvie. 1957, he was the mastermind of a bank heist in Indiana, where he was charged and sent to Fort Wayne. He there occurred a violent escape, leading to a gun battle, and he got shot in the hip. 
he was returned, sentenced to the 50 years, and sent directly to Alcatraz. He was described as moody, dangerous, and inmates would avoid him. John Scott was Alcatraz number 1403. He was sentenced 30 years for bank robbery and unregistered firearms. He graduated high school and went to college. In 1957, he used stolen guns to rob a Kentucky bank, during which an officer was shot in the legs. Scott was found two days later and had gunshot wounds in his mouth and arm. He was sent to Atlanta, attempted escape there, and then was sent to Alcatraz. Inmates called him meek and non-threatening. Shut up. Okay, not you, me. So the plan. So Scott's plan. So Scott planned this for more than a year in advance, and he recruited several inmates. They reported that these prisoners would take turns sawing away at the four-by-six-foot window in the kitchen basement. They most likely used a sharp grease scraper or serrated spatula by the fry cooks. They also used, sorry if you don't like the word moist, moist string dipped in abrasive kitchen cleaner. And they realized this was good because it was less likely to be noticed because it was too high on the wall and the people couldn't see it. Scott acquired several pairs of surgical gloves and electrical cord, and he planned to finish sawing, climb out, shimmy up a drain pipe to the roof, um, cross it, and use the cord to lower himself to the ground. The gloves would be used to float in the water, and along the way, Scott invited Parker. So the escape on December 16th, he was pre they were present for the 530 headcount, and Scott took down the garbage with a pair of sawing bars. Nope. <laughs> Scott took down the garbage and he finished sawing the bars in the kitchen. Scott and Parker broke the window with a crescent wrench that was reported missing two days before. So during their escape, once they got out, Parker broke his foot during the fall. They went to the water's edge, and there they inflated the gloves. They stuffed their shirts with the inflated gloves, and they plunged in the water within the 15 minutes after the count. So they were quick. The water was about 46 degrees, and there was a swift tide that day. Scott claimed that he used the lights on the mainland to keep him afloat and focused. They were found missing at 547, and 30 minutes later, they found the broken window. An hour and a half later, they were searching Alcatraz all the way to the Golden Gate Bridge. The aftermath. Parker was unable to break free from the current. He took refuge on Little Alcatraz, which was a tinier island about 100 yards from the prison. Um, he was picked up by guards at 6.10 a.m., but Scott swam and drifted near Fort Point at the southern base of the Golden, Golden Gate Bridge. Okay, at 7.40, police were told by teenagers that they found a body. It was Scott wearing only socks who was rushed then to the Levensworth Hospital. By 10.45 that night, he returned to Alcatraz. Scott and Parker were given two years for the escape and Director Bennett came to investigate and question why it took so long for San Francisco police to be told of what happened. Warden Blackwell wrote, quote, the fundamental weakness in our Alcatraz defenses is the antiquity of the institution, its ineffective, 
inefficient layout, its many dark corners, and the weaknesses that have developed over the years to saltwater corrosion. This escape is further evidence that Alcatraz has outlived its usefulness. After Alcatraz was closed, Scott was sent to Levensworth and continued to attempt escape from there. Scott and Parker had made the front page news after their escape. The end. I don't like that one either. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I thought it was interesting that someone tried a new location. I guess, but... And I'm sorry, but they're describing cool. it like inmates that weren't even going to attempt the escape were helping. They were in the kitchen. Okay, get up on that stool and try to and try to carve this thing out. They would take turns. Like anybody that wanted to do it, they could do it. I still get like a four. Okay, that's fair. It's like, eh. not my favorite. Not my, <laughs> not my favorite. <laughs> Ton of teens are like, hey, there's this guy with just his socks on. I don't know. It's kind of sketchy. <laughs> I'm sorry, Alcatraz. Over and over. Hey, why did it take so long? Hey, why didn't you warn us? Also, can no, I'm surprised no one else could hear echoes of that bell of the alarm. Well, I guess it would really have to be loud. Yeah. That's dumb. But yeah, okay, so all the escapes, because this is part two, all of them, which one do you remember the most? It's the most memorable. Obviously the most known one, which is the ones that they actually escaped. Yeah, that's true. I still can't believe, was it the first or second escape that the two men were never found? One of the first. Yeah. yeah. Also still love the first one. He was just like, fuck it, and ran. Joseph Bowers, I think. Mm -hmm. And he just ran and jumped the fence and got shot and kept on going. That's guts. I like when they stop and they're like, no thanks, like the one dude. My dental thing is lost. I have to My go My dental plate's gone? Back like, I go. <laughs> Can't know. live without that, so. I mean, or the one that came back in the way he came. He came through the window again, and he was found like, naked and wet next to that radiator or those two ones you said are three prisoners that just went back to their cells and they're just like okay I'm yeah back. they're like hey this got way out of hand yeah i'm, I'm gonna go home I'm gonna go home to myself yeah kretzer kretzer yeah no he was yeah no and a lot of and a few and there's like some single ones out there there's like some duos and there's i mean two or three big groups of people which is kind of crazy yeah, those are all 14 escapes. If you didn't listen to the part one, I'm confused of why you're here at part two, so I would go back and listen to that one. It was a lot longer. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot longer. There was a few of them. I was like, oh, well, this is fucking, this is short as shit. This one dude decided, got out, started a fire, came back in. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you, friend, for sharing. Thanks, friend, for listening. And guys, this is our first part two, so let us know if you liked it or not. And if you didn't like it, be nice about it, because I tend to cry and or yell. <laughs> so, choose wisely. So don't be mean. Don't be mean. But as always, come back for more cool stuff. More cool stuff. Okay, guys. Bye. Bye.